Good morning, everyone. Thanks for joining us for worship together again this morning. You've probably heard at some point uh, the famous poem, The Road Not Taken by Robert Frost. It's a pretty common one in, in high school and college level English courses. And it's interesting, of course, that the poem ends with him taking the road less traveled by, even though he admits earlier in the poem that they, the two roads were worn really about the same. Even more interesting is that the poem is entitled The Road Not Taken. I'll read it and you can see what I mean, and just because I like poems. The Road Not Taken. Two roads diverged in a yellow wood, and sorry I could not travel both, and be one traveler long I stood, and looked down one as far as I could, to where it bent in the undergrowth. Then took the other as just as fair, and having perhaps the better claim, because it was grassy and wanted wear, though as for that the passing there had worn them really about the same. And both that morning equally lay, in leaves no step, had trodden black. Oh, I kept the first for another day, yet knowing how way leads on to way, I doubted if I should ever come back. I shall be telling this with a sigh, somewhere ages and ages hence, two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. At the end of the day, you just have to pick a road. And the truth is, in this poem anyhow, that one is about as good as the other. And you have no real way of knowing which one uh, is better or what a given road might have in store for you. He looked down the road as far as he could, but he couldn't see very far. Now, the Bible also talks in a number of places about two ways or two roads that you might choose. And of course, the Bible makes a very different point from this poem. The point is that one way is the way which leads to life, and the other way is the way which leads to death. And you can certainly know in advance which way they lead. So we're just looking at kind of a short passage today from the book of Jeremiah. And if you've been following along with our home worship service guide, this is going to sound pretty familiar to the scripture you would have read at the beginning of your worship time together. Jeremiah chapter 17, just verses 5 to 8. Jeremiah 17, beginning at verse 5. Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He is like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness, in an uninhabited salt land. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green, and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. This is the word of the Lord. Now we're, we're continuing our, our sermon series on Israel in exile, and in particular this first section of it that looks at uh, the prophet Jeremiah. 
uh, particularly as Israel planned. Uh, well, they didn't plan to go into exile, but God had those plans for them. And uh, Jeremiah was trying to warn them that it was coming. This might not seem quite as related to that topic, but it's important for us to look at today. And we'll see that it actually is maybe more related than we might think on the surface. Now, this theme of there being uh, two different ways that you might go down. You might naturally think, and especially if you read Psalm 1, this sounds pretty familiar. Uh, Blessed is the man who doesn't walk in these ways. Uh, He's going to be like a tree that's planted by water, etc. Very similar language between these two passages. And you might also think, when you think about uh, the choice of different ways, the way of life and the way of death, perhaps you think of the book of Deuteronomy. And there again, already, we're kind of back to where we've been in these last couple of weeks. Uh, the, The prophet Jeremiah, like the other prophets, was frequently calling the people of Israel and Judah back to their covenant with the Lord and warning them that there were consequences for breaking God's covenant. Deuteronomy 30, it really sums this up well. Moses said, See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today, by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways, and by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, then you shall live and multiply. And the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. But if your heart turns away, and you will not hear, but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not live long in the land that you are going over the Jordan to enter and possess. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, Choose life that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice, and holding fast to him. For he is your life and your length of days, that you may dwell in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give them. So with that background in mind, let's look at our passage for today. Again, thinking of of these these two ways before us, and then also the result that God wants for his people. So we start off here, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength. In Hebrew, the word for man, uh, in the first part there, cursed is the man and then blessed is the man, it's, it's actually the Hebrew word, or one of the Hebrew words, for warrior. Now, it doesn't always have to mean warrior. It, it can just mean any man, generically, but even so, it's a bit more specific than other more generic words to just refer to a man or to a person in general. And, and it, it does tend to indicate strength or, or authority or leadership. So cursed is the man who trusts in man. Now, the second part of that phrase is a different word for man, and probably the nuance there is mankind rather than trusting in an individual man or an individual person. So the word choice, uh, plus the the clarifying parallel there of of putting your trust in flesh as your strength, bears this out. So I I think the idea here, I think the idea is something along these lines. 
paraphrasing considerably. I feel a bit like a bit like Eugene Peterson in the message here, but here's here's kind of where I'm going. Do you want to be a leader? Do you want to find true security? Do you want to know what real strength is? Well, it's not by trusting either in human wisdom or agendas or the usual sources of strength, influence, wealth, or brute force. Now, that's paraphrasing considerably, but this holds true for back then as well as now. Israel as, as a united monarchy and, and Judah as separate kingdoms afterwards, they were small powers and they were sandwiched in between some of the, the greater military powers and empires of that time and of that part of the world. And they were constantly kind of jostling for position and there were always these, these temptations to who are you going to ally with now that's going to maybe help you stand up to the bigger bullies in the, in the geopolitical schoolyard, as it were. And there was always these temptations to throw your lot in with one power to keep you safe from another. That, that was much of Israel's history. Uh, there were a number of times where they actually looked to Egypt as a power they could ally with to protect them from other empires, despite their history of being brought out of slavery in Egypt and the Lord saying, you know, never go back down there again. Or you might even remember, if you know your Old Testament uh, particularly well, Isaiah 39, the end of the first portion of Isaiah's book, where uh, toward the end of his reign, King Hezekiah kind of cozies up to the emerging Babylonian empire because he's looking for an ally against the Assyrians, who are, who are the big power at that time. And, and certainly knowing where we are by the book of Jeremiah, when the Babylonians have, have taken over and are threatening destruction, that proved to yeah, not be a very wise idea. Again, as we looked at last time, Israel in the Old Testament is different from us now. They had both a national and a religious covenant with God in a way that we don't have. Now, despite a number of Western nations being founded on what we might call a Judeo-Christian worldview or mindset, and we can debate the extent to which that's true in different countries, but we can't truly call any modern state a Christian nation. And the New Testament is very clear, as I said before, that Christians are a distinct people from whatever nation or whatever empire they live in or, or under. We looked at this at some length last time, so I won't belabor that any further. But I guess what I'm trying to say, you know, passages like this shouldn't be used uh, to come up with foreign policy for modern nation states, or as a prohibition of Christians seeking medical treatment when you're sick, or accepting government assistance if you lose your income. Those are rabbit trails, and people are going to come up with, with different viewpoints on what you should or shouldn't do, and what constitutes, uh, you know, trusting in man versus just exercising your God-given wisdom. That's that's not the rabbit trail I want to go down, though, today. What I want to make the focus of our talk today is this. What does flourishing look like? What does this, this image of the, the tree planted by streams of water look like for us? Let's understand that a bit more. Because, again, it sounds pretty similar uh, to Psalm 1 and some other passages in the Bible. Now, in a dry climate, people understand this image. They, they understand that, that trees and, and gardens, they don't just grow anywhere. You don't just sprinkle some seeds around in the sandy desert where it never rains and expect that you're going to get a crop. I don't know if you will have seen any pictures of 
Karenport in the early days, you know, when it was still uh, an Air Force base or even the early days of the college campus here. But if you've seen any of those pictures, there's something that's conspicuously absent that we just take for granted when we walk around our community now. And that's trees. In those old photos, there is not a tree in sight. It is completely barren. All the trees on this campus were planted here by people at some point in the last 80 years. They had to be watered by hand or by some form of irrigation until the trees were big enough that they had a deep enough root system that they could access just the groundwater and continue growing. Trees, excuse me, trees do not grow naturally in southern Saskatchewan unless there is a, a water source near at hand. And that's the image in this passage, a, a tree growing in a challenging place, but where there is at least a reliable water source, or at least some of the time. And you know, the thing that's interesting about this, this tree, even compared with that very similar passage in Psalm 1, this tree is not just, not just passively growing here. It's actively growing. It's actively, look what it says, putting out roots, putting down roots that are, the idea is they're seeking out that water, growing roots closer and closer towards the stream or down into the groundwater source where they have a constant supply of moisture. And in that way, when a dry year comes, when there's not much spring runoff or there's not much rain, that, that tree has those deep roots that can go down deep into the soil and find that groundwater that will sustain it even in a time of drought. Now, to apply this to our own situation, I suspect some of us might be in a season where we wished we had put down some deeper roots when the times were good, or at least more normal. That we'd maybe been more attentive to spiritual disciplines like regular times of prayer, resisting temptation, time in God's Word. Some of us might be discovering that we need those habits in a chaotic time, but it would have been a lot easier to form them in a more straightforward time. However, don't despair if that's where you, you find yourself. Despair is not, not a very healthy or very positive, godly kind of a response when you're confronted with something like this. You, know, you can't go back. You can't go back and spend the last year or two or ten developing habits that you wish you had formed, developing those stronger habits of heart, soul, mind, and strength. But you can start today. That choice between life-sucking things and life-giving things, that's still available to you each day. In normal times, in strange times, in COVID times, you still have that opportunity to choose the good way of life or the destructive way of death. You can't go back and do it over. You can't redo decisions you wish maybe you made differently six months ago or a year ago, but you can start now. You can start today. The Lord in His grace and His mercy gives us that choice every single day. How are we going to choose? Are we going to choose those things of life or are we going to choose the things that do not give life? But here's the thing. It will require deliberate choices. We've adopted a lot of new vocabulary over the last six or eight weeks, haven't we? 
Uh, we'll, we'll have heard new terms, social distancing or, or physical distancing, self-isolating, and of course, flattening the curve. We've heard a lot about flattening the curve. That phrase is everywhere. But I would propose another phrase, not related to COVID, but another phrase that I think at least maybe is indirectly related to the season we would find ourselves in, and that believers in the Lord Jesus should adopt as part of their vocabulary and as their, their frame of reference and their pattern of living at this time. And the phrase I would propose is resist the tide. Resist the tide. Resist the tide of fear. Fear is rampant. I mean, fear always was rampant. I think we knew that. But it's just been, been cranked up to 11 now. Headlines. I don't know how frequently I've just felt like yelling. You have to actually read that article. The headline is there to scare you, right? Like rare outlier outcomes of COVID-19 where headlines would make you think this was almost an assured result of contracting this virus. And then not only that, but you've got conspiracy theories just popping up like mushrooms after a spring rain. Friends, stop this nonsense. Just stop. Be as informed as you think you need to be, but that truly only takes a little bit of time each day. Take some time away from current events. So resist the tide of fear. Also, resist the tide of passivity. I'm just going to speak for myself here. I know I could have done way more reading in this time. I could have used my online time to learn a lot more things than I have. Even something as basic as I have a bird feeder in my back storage room that's been broken for weeks now and I'm still trying to get around to fixing it. Now granted, uh, social isolation, even the, the mild measures that we've experienced here in Saskatchewan can do weird things to, to your mind, to your motivation, even if you don't realize it. But that, that motivation gets even further taxed if you spend way too much time just staring at a screen all day long. Find something different to do. Resist the tide of passivity, just sitting there consuming more stuff. Friends, living in a state of, of either fear or passive entertainment and distraction, neither of those are the good way of life and flourishing and being like that tree planted by a stream of water. No, it, these things are like that scrubby bush that we just read about in the desert, blasted by the hot, dry wind, shriveled up, barely alive. That's not what God wants for us. Here's the thing. You know, yeah, choosing the way of life rather than the way of death, that's going to take some deliberate choosing. Yeah, putting down roots rather than living at just a shallow surface level, going to take some intention, no doubt about that. But here's the thing. It's what God wants for us. It's, it's a picture of what living under God's love and grace looks like, right? This isn't a picture of, of drudgery or, or misery or the kind of like severe discipline that doesn't leave any room for joy or flourishing or happiness. Quite the opposite. Exactly the opposite. Of course, we know this. If we're familiar with kind of the big whole Bible story picture 
of God's plan, we know that this is where the Bible goes, isn't it? It ends in the final chapter of Revelation with this same image, trees near a river bearing fruit season by season. God's people living in his presence in the fullness of joy and blessing with him. I think what this is telling us, when we take that big picture, full Bible view of things, of the Christian life, of God's dealings with his people, is that we can begin living that life at least, at least a little bit, even now. So wouldn't we want to choose to live that way? This kind of, this kind of humble trusting in God, that's what Israel had to learn in exile. Even as Jeremiah was preaching these words, exile was, was looming large. Israel was going to be taken into a foreign land without any of the familiar things that they so often trusted in. Uh, their temple, their land, their rituals, their way of life, their, their familiar surroundings. All of those, those things that propped up their way of life got kicked away from them. And yet, they still had these promises from God held out to them. Now friends, as, as Christians, as believers on this side of Jesus' life and death and resurrection, we've always been in a kind of exile. As I said already, we live our lives here in this world as, as exiles and foreigners, whatever nation we're a part of. And while we experience the promise and foretaste of this well-watered life even now, we await God's eternal kingdom to experience it fully. So, even if we are in an exile time, this is a great opportunity to begin choosing to experience that kind of abundant life of blessing under God as much as we can. Choose the things that we can still choose that are life-giving, building up our souls, pouring into our heart, souls, mind, and strength, rather than choosing those things that are life-sucking, that are shriveling our souls, shriveling our faith, shriveling our relationship with our Lord and with our brothers and sisters. I'm ending a bit early today because I want to turn it over uh, to one of our board members to talk a little bit more about what he's finding uh, in this season that is life-giving and what things he's finding to avoid that are life, life-sucking, life-draining. Uh, a few weeks ago, we had decided that it would be really helpful to have some, uh, some testimonies from our board members and, and eventually from other members of our congregation just as a way to get to know people better, put some names to faces. And then when, when this virus situation happened, we thought this is even more important now as a way to keep connected and to see one another even if we have to do that virtually. So our board chairman, uh, Mark Duncan, is going to share about some of the things that the Lord's been teaching him and his family in this season. So I'm going to turn it over to Mark in just a moment. I'm here with Mark Duncan, who's our church board chairman, and he's gonna tell us a little bit about some of the things he's been doing uh, with him and his family and, and elsewhere in the community and pursuing things that are, that are life-giving rather than things that aren't. So tell us a bit about yourself and your family, Mark, first of all. Um, yeah, well, I'm Mark Duncan, as Josh said, and uh, we're, we came to Karenport back in 2015, uh, brought our boys here to, to be a part of the school system, 
Uh, we heard th good things about uh, it was Briar. Uh, it wasn't BCA at the time. It was Karenport High School. Um, but yeah, came here for that. And uh, yeah, 2015. It's 2020. So been here five years now. Yeah. And, and now, Mark, you're one of the interesting people that doesn't actually work for Briarcrest in this community. Tell tell everybody what right. you do. Uh, it's kind of uh, interesting. I yeah. think it's interesting. <laughs> uh, so my official title is a, is a network engineer. Um, yeah, I've worked in IT since 2001, somewhere in that neighborhood. Um, and so, yeah, the company I work for is based out of Edmonton. They're actually part of a greater group of cattlemen. Uh, so it's primary, primarily cattle and, and a few other things. But uh, yeah, my job day to day is just helping people on computers. I do a lot of back end stuff. So the stuff you don't see, but that makes everything work. Right. The stuff you don't <laughs> see that keeps us eating and keeps meat in the grocery store. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Bet, so. so interestingly <laughs> enough, one of the things we've been talking about is you do computer stuff for a yes. living. But during this weird season, you've been finding that sometimes time away from the computer is has been helpful. So tell us about rejecting that life soul sucking stuff. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Actually for a long time, I've always, uh, try to find ways to get off of screens. Uh, the last little while has been challenging because it seems like that's how we communicate right now. So social media is our primary way of communicating with other people outside of your household. Uh, and I've, I found myself, you know, really getting into all the different feeds because, you know, people are sharing stuff like, all the constantly. Time. Yeah. Like you can go on Facebook and you can post something and then all of a sudden, like, you know, five minutes later, there's a hundred more posts from other people. And, and I found myself just kind of reading through that kind of stuff and my anxiety was increasing. Um, so I, I decided, you know what, I'm going to take a day off. I'm just going to say no social media no internet, um, and just say just nothing for that day. And yeah, it was surprisingly, it was, it was interesting how that changed my day and my outlook. Yeah. Like, okay, these things are obviously affecting my mental well-being. Yeah. So if <laughs> you were, say, yeah, if you were saying like, uh, anxiety level where you were before you made it, choice to do that like how big of a difference like scale of one to ten would you say i would say my anxiety was creeping up to a 10 in some instances um i find that i i, I was and, and you know jocelyn my wife was noticing this more is just my anger level was increasing mm, yeah like just tension yeah so the little things would be a bigger argument than yeah than normal and she keep saying like what's going on like what are you what's like why are you yeah what's happening? She noticed a change. And so I decided to look at it myself. I'm like, yeah, this, I, I thought, no, it couldn't be. Why would this stuff affect me? I'm on computers every day of my yeah. life, pretty much. Yeah. Why would it all of a sudden affect me now? And yeah, that's kind of what I found is just taking a time out and really evaluating what I was looking at online and saying, you know, do I really need to pump myself, myself full of stuff that's maybe not necessarily true or conspiracy theories and, or should I be pumping myself you know with good things like getting into the Bible and listening to worship music and detaching <laughs> from from the world or from the internet anyway yeah so yeah so that's the thing you've made a real choice to say no for that's a like life draining thing yeah absolutely um, some of you might have seen on our our church 
ironically enough, social media feeds or other announcements uh, that we have a men's prayer group going. So that's the flip side of that, I would say, mm -hmm. is saying yes to something that is life-giving, like putting down those roots. So yeah, yeah, you've done one now. So just, yeah, say a little bit about what you're finding there already, even at just meeting one time. Yeah, so um, it's been... This is actually the second time we've met, but the okay. first time we had about, it was only about, I think it was six guys that showed up, but this time we actually had 11 guys show up. And, uh, and it's just, it's one of those things, like I feel like in this season, uh, especially when we're not, when we're facing uncertainty, it's like, well, who do we go to? Do we go to the internet or do we go to God? And, you know, I thought, you know, the, we're, you know, the Bible says we should be seeking after him. And so that's kind of what sparked me to start this prayer group is that, you know, we need to be seeking God in this situation saying, okay, God, only you can, can, uh, deal with this situation. Um, and so I thought, you know what, I, I just need to do something. So let's get some guys together and start praying. And obviously we can't physically meet together, but you know, that's, that is the one good thing about technology is that we have. Uh, the ability to meet together, you know, through online means. So started a group and went on to Zoom and, and, you know, it's a, it's a little different because yeah. you get like the little hiccups and the pops every once in a while. And sometimes somebody cuts out halfway through what they're saying, but um, it's been good because it's a way of kind of bringing community uh, together and bringing guys together uh, that want to pray and they want, they really do honestly want to seek God in this situation. So I, you know, I feel like it's going to spark something new and something different. And, and I'm hope, you know, my hope is that it uh, obviously continues beyond, you know, our, the, the, um, the isolation situation. So yeah, it's, it's been really good and I'm hopeful for the future. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. So an opportunity where it, the Lord is doing something in this in this season yeah. that, that's new and that's fresh and that's good. I know we talk so yeah. much about, I don't know, if you're like me, some days it's like, this is the end. Like, this is it. Who knows what's going to happen? But, you know, the Lord's the Lord's still in control. He knows. He's good. And he's, he's doing stuff. So, yeah, like you say, we give it to him. Uh, and it's just one of those ways, like I was saying earlier in my message, that we're putting down roots, seeking that life-giving source of nourishment that that only the Lord can provide. So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it's been, yeah, and that's one of those things like, you know, when you when you read about the difficult times that happen throughout Scripture and, you know, God's like, if you would seek me, I'm there to be found, you know. Uh, that verse that's been kind of going around is the uh, one in Second Chronicles. Oh, yeah. Uh, about, you know, if my people would seek my face, I'll, I will heal their land. So, you know, I, I feel that that was, you know, that's one of those verses that it's just like, yeah, if we seek you, you promise that you will. Yeah. <laughs> it may not be right when we want it. It may not be, you know, tomorrow or the next day. But, uh, you know, um, I think it is really relying on the promises of God and saying, okay, God, you've promised this in your word. And we're going to we're going to take you to your word and say, yes, Lord, this is what we want. And and uh, just seeking him for it. So. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Amen. Th thanks for sharing that with us, Mark, and yeah. telling us a little bit about what you're learning in this this season. And absolutely. Yeah. Hope everyone at home found found that helpful and and encouraging, and maybe sort of a prompt to 
start your own uh, prayer group or use technology in hopefully just some some healthier ways. So yeah, thanks a lot, Mark. Appreciate yeah, you it. bet. Thank you, Josh.